0: I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14, Acts 14, we're going to look at verse 24 to 28. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you in worship today. Acts chapter 14, verse 24 through 28. Of course, we believe that these things are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Luke who actually was a disciple of Paul, uh, who gives us both the gospel of Luke and here this book of Acts. Acts 14, 24 through 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended To the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with him and now he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples." This is the word of the Lord. Well it was it was actually a year ago today a year ago this Sunday that we had our first like virtual service that we were not allowed to gather that everybody was engaged in this whole shelter in home uh, kind of idea and that following week so it was actually a week later in the calendar next year we were going to have our missions conference and it was the Monday after that first service had kind of been virtualized and we were meeting with the staff and, and we were just kind of realizing this missions conference is not going to happen. None of these people are going to travel here. Even the people from the United States aren't going to be able to travel here. And and the staff will, will tell you it was really a hard day for me. It, it really kind of just broke my heart um, to realize that we weren't going to do what we've been doing this week. Last year, um, I love this moment. And in fact, I... I need this moment, I think we all need this moment to remember that the Lord is at work and He's at work outside of our church and He's at work in places all over the world. And so to the partners that have come, I just want to thank you for coming, for being here, for investing into our congregation. This is an especially happy week for our church. We need to be connected to what God is doing globally, and in in many ways, this is just a celebration for us as a church of how God is using you. And that's really what this passage that we looked at today is. It's, It's a return. If you remember last week, Barrett preached kind of from the beginning of this, from Acts 13, verse 1 through 3, and he did an amazing job. But in that passage, Paul and Barnabas from the church in Antioch are sent out and they're sent out on, on what really is their first missionary journey. I think y'all have a little map on the screen here and, and you can see kind of where they went and some of you who have kind of studied the journeys of Paul, there there are these several missionary journeys that Paul went on. So the first one where the gospel really started to advance in different parts of the world and where Gentiles really for the first time ever started coming to faith in Jesus, this is well, what is happening in the in the you know, after what the text that Barrett preached in Acts 13 and then into the text through 14. And this is the end of chapter 14. It's the end of that journey. And now Paul and Barnabas are returning back to Antioch and they're telling all the people of everything that God had done. Now, I really want to spend some time today, and this is going to be a, a little bit of an atypical sermon. I want to spend a little time today thinking about this church I love this church in Antioch. Kind of, of all the churches, uh, uh, it's one of the ones that I've thought about the most. And I'm talking about ancient churches and modern churches. I've thought a lot about the Church of Antioch. I, I, I want Christ's covenant to to kind of learn from this church, to be like this church, uh, to to have the same kind of character that that this church has. Um, it's it's a good time for us to be thinking about this. Also, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, I'm going to tell you a story later about how the Lord started moving in my heart to even come over here and to begin to plant Christ's covenant. But it was about five years ago that we really started praying about this. Um, and right around that time, my son Rainer was born. So the church is only three and a half officially, but the idea of the church is about five years old. Rainer will be five, April 7th. And it's, whenever I think about our church, I kind of think about Rayner, right? Because Rayner, you know, was a little baby and he's still young, but he's kind of growing up and he's learning how to walk and talk and he's learning how to play baseball and he's maturing as a child. And I think that we're maturing as a congregation. I I think the Lord is about to to do something in the life of our church. He's about to kind of lead us into the our next kind of phase of maturity. We, we've learned how to kind of operate a little bit as a church, but, but I really believe there's, there's something ahead of us that I believe is big, and I believe it's from the Lord. And, and I think this is the kind of time that we need to be learning from churches, and particularly this church. So I, I want to look at seven things today, and you're thinking, golly, seven things, that's a lot. Um, but I'll go through them quickly. But seven things today that that I think we can see in the church in Antioch. We see some in our text that we just looked at, but really the whole scope of this Acts 13 and 14 passage teaches us these things. So going back, the first thing that we see in this church, going back and meditating on on something that Barrett looked at last week, but the church in Antioch had healthy leadership. And here's the deal. It wasn't just one leader. There was many leaders. There were were really good leaders there. It's interesting that Luke wants to list out this list of leaders. If you, if you flip over and just look at Acts 13 real quick, and Barrett looked at this a little bit last week, but just a reminder, Barnabas, this great leader. Barnabas was actually a leader in the early church of Jerusalem, but now he's in Antioch. And Barnabas was this amazingly generous guy. We actually have learned about him before in the book of Acts because the church, when it was being persecuted, it was really needy. Barnabas actually stepped up. He sold some property, and he sold some property to care for the church. He'd take care of the needs of the people in the body. Simeon, who was an African man, he had come up from uh, Africa and landed in Antioch. And now he's a leader. He's one of the pastors of this church. And so this church has leadership from different countries, from different parts of the world. I love this, that it's a, it's a multinational leadership already. Lucius of Cyrene, also... Multi, uh, and a multinational example. Now, a lot of people believe that Lucius was the guy that started the church. In Acts 11, we learn that people from Cyrene, after the persecution in Jerusalem, went to Antioch and started a church. And a lot of people believe that Lu- Lucius was one of these guys, that Lucius was one of the founding pastor, if you will, of this church in Antioch. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. The thesis of the book of Acts, If you say, what is the book of Acts about? I think I have it just here. It's Acts 1-8, right? There's a famous passage, but it's really the thesis statement of the book of Acts. When Luke's writing Acts, he says, okay, here's what this book is about. It's really this word of Christ where he says, you, the church, you'll be my witnesses um, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You could just say it to simplify that, the book of Acts is about the Spirit-empowered advance of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. Now, Rome wasn't the ends of the earth, the, the, the book of Acts kind of ends in Rome. Rome wasn't technically the, all that there was, but Rome was the gateway to the world, right? So it's it's the Spirit-empowered advance of the church or the kingdom of God from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. and through Rome, you can really touch the whole world. Now, here's the thing, though, about the book of Acts. It takes seven chapters for the church to get out of Jerusalem. Things were so great in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, what's the the great irony of the book, the thing that started the spread of the church was the persecution of Saul, who became this great leader in the church. So, Saul had persecuted Lucius in Jerusalem. Lucius moved to Antioch, started a church there, and now the guy that chased him out of Jerusalem is a fellow elder in the church. It's an amazing little story. All right, but you also have Manan, another really interesting guy. Uh, he um, He was a lifelong friend of the king. I mean, think about this. This guy had access. You know, he went to the right school. He lived in the right neighborhood, right? He he always took his spring break vacation to the right place with the right group. But none of that mattered to him. What chiefly mattered to him was who he was in Christ. And here he is in Antioch, serving this church, loving this church. And then, of course, you have Saul. And something has happened to Saul Between the text we looked at last week, Acts 13, and the text we looked at this week. Something major has happened to Saul, but we're going to talk about that later. So you have godly leadership, faithful leadership in this church. And I want our church to be a church like that. Now, I'm so grateful that we have godly leaders, multiple godly leaders here. We have 14 elders that helped us shepherd and oversee. We have a great staff. And I'm grateful for that. We need that. I love these leaders that God has given our church—I love our elders' meetings. These aren't just executive board meetings; they're they're times of prayer and shepherding and care. We we pray for you. We we talk about how we can stir you along. I mean, I'm talking individually how we can stir you along toward faith and good deeds. We're looking after the flock. You know, one of the things that we desire as a church is to have at least one elder. For every 50 members of the church, at least one elder for every 50 members of the church. We've basically been able to do that. Now we're in our next members meeting in the end of March. We're actually voting in or putting before you 84 new members this quarter. What does that mean? That means that we need more elders. We, We need more people to shepherd the flock. So two things that I just want to give you to kind of meditate on before we move on to the next thing in Antioch. First, I just want to give you an exhortation. And I know this seems a little self-serving here, and maybe it is, but I, I, I hope that it's ultimately aimed at the strength and health of the church. But first, honor and pray for your church leaders. It's a hard job. You know, these 14 elders and deacons and staff, they, they love you. They serve you. The Bible exhorts us to this in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And then it says this, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And this is one of the most intimidating passages in the Bible. As those who will have to give an account. Do you hear that? The elders of this church believe, and we tell them this, that they will one day stand up and give an account to God for how they cared for, shepherded, led you. So pray for them. That's a daunting task. Listen to them. Secondly, I just want to say this, we want you to aspire to be leaders in the church. Men, you should aspire to be a leader in the church. Women, you should aspire to be a leader in the church. Men, you should aspire to be an elder or a deacon or an officer in the church. Women, you should aspire to be a kind of Titus II woman in the church that other women are looking to, that that people can consider your way of life. And model their lives after you. We also see this in Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. What do you think happened in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas left? What do you think happened in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their missionary journey? You know what happened? The church stayed strong. It had lost two of its best leaders, but it stayed strong. It stayed faithful. It, 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 we, we know it to be this really strong and faithful church. Why and how? Why? Because they were focused on discipleship. They were raising up leaders. People were aspiring to be leaders. And when those leaders left, people slipped in. You know, people are always going to, people always ask me, how are y'all going to continue to grow and disciple people as well? And I say, well, we just need leaders. And, and God has been faithful to provide those. But, but you should aspire to be a leader. You should aspire to grow in your faith in the kind of way that you can be leader in the church, that you can be used by God. How are we going to be a multiplying church? I so want us to be a multiplying church, a kind of church like this, that's, that's sending out our folks. Well, that's gonna happen as God raises up within us qualified leaders. So this church in Antioch was such a great church because it had such great leaders, but number two, They were a great church because they were committed to worship. Now, Barrett Barrett talked about the worship of this church last week and how the Spirit of God spoke to them as they were worshiping. And so I I don't want to belabor that point too much, but but I do want to say one thing on this. They were committed. Worship to them, and I just want you to hear this. It wasn't just consuming content. It wasn't wasn't just self-directed. They were worshiping as a church body. They they were committed to one another. They were committed to worshiping the Lord together. And when they were together and when they showed up, things happened. Why were Paul and Barnabas sent out from the church in Antioch? One of the reasons is they were there. (laughs) They were present. They They showed up. When, when the church was t- together seeking the Lord, when they were fasting and worshiping together, they were present and God used them to do this amazing thing. And, and I just want to say, I, I know this has been, even if you're still you know, watching at home, I know this has been an unprecedented year. Uh, it's been a strange year. So I, I want to be careful. This is less of a correction and more of an exhortation. The church is going to be strong when we are committed to showing up. And, and this is not Netflix, right? We're not, we're not streaming content here that, that you can use. That's not what I'm trying to do here. We're trying to build a body of believers that's called out by God, that's called together, and that's sent out, that's, that's working for the things of the Lord. Number three, the church of Antioch, they were... They had great leadership. They were committed to worship. Number three, they were committed to prayer. We see this. They're they're together. They're worshiping. They're fasting. They're praying. God speaks. God moves. But a regular theme of the writings of Paul, you know what Paul always mentions in his writings? He thanks the churches for their fervent prayers. And, and, And you just have to assume that this was set forward even from this church in Antioch, that their fervent prayers, their faithful prayers were a big part of what God was doing and how the gospel was going forward and how churches were planted and how the word of God advanced even among the Gentiles as we saw in the text. And I just think that's so important. You know, we, last year, a lot of times at the end of like a missions conference, the goal is, guys, we want you to go on short-term mission trips, right? We want you to go, we want you to do something. And Last year we had this big goal for that. We wanted to take a third of our church on a short term mission trip, and we had all these plans and all these trips lined up, and then all of a sudden, of course, there was we, we took no mission trip last year. None of that happened. And so, you know, even this year, we're thinking, well, what do we need to do? And I'm very hopeful that we will be sending teams to do things some, at some point in this year. But as we kind of dreamed about this year's missions conference, we, we, we just said, you know, you know the, the best thing that we can do this year is call our folks to commit. To meaningful prayer for our missions partners, and, and Jeremy's going to explain more about this later. But we've actually got these three prayer guides, three different prayer guides that are connected to three of our partners that we really want you to take, and we really want you to commit to. In 2015, we had our missions conference. I was pastoring in Birmingham at, at that church. There is called Valleydale, and We had some guys, there was this one guy, Kevin, who'd been working for many years. He'd been a long-term partner of the church, and he'd been working among the Kurdish people, which is an ethnic group of folks that live in northern Iraq mostly. They're in a couple other countries also. But he'd been working among the Kurdish folks with very little fruit. He'd been on the field for five years or so, and there was a handful of believers. Well, he brought us that year these prayer guides these little booklets. And every day they had a different prayer for the Kurdish people. And I took one. And also that year we had a little prayer guide for North American mission church planters, churches being planted in North American cities. And I took one of those. And I'll just going to be honest, like, I don't think that it was, I don't remember it being some like, you know, weepy moment or like some emotional thing. I don't remember like, being really even just moved to do this and commit to prayer. I don't think it was like that. I just took the prayer guide, I put it on my desk, and I would pray. And, you know, I didn't even pray every day. I probably prayed three or four times a week. And I would flip the little Kurdish prayer guide, and I would look at the pages, and I would pray. And every Sunday morning before I would go preach, I would flip the North American Mission Board Church Planter Prayer Guide, and I would pray for whoever that church planter was and for their preaching that day. And that's it. I just, it was simple. I just did that. Well, 2016, the next year, Kevin gets back from Kurdistan, from northern Iraq. And, and he had been on the field for five years before this. And he had very little fruit. And he comes back, and it had been their most fruitful year of ministry ever. The gospel had exploded among those people. The church had, the church had literally gone from like eight or nine to like 90 in one year. And he'd been there five years beforehand. And I just remember thinking, like, was God really hearing my prayers? Like, was, was God honoring the faithful prayers of these little folks in Birmingham all the way overseas here in Iraq? And I believe that the answer to that is yes. And the combination of that, just seeing how the Lord worked there, and then the combination of me also praying through that North American Mission Board prayer guide, I, those are... Those are two huge moments in my life that the Lord opened my heart to be able to have the courage to kind of leave a well-established church to start over with just a few handful of folks that had a dream. This This was a faithful church and they saw faithful work because they were so committed to prayer. Number four, the church in Antioch had a strategic plan I want to show you something. Um, let's see on the screen here. They had a strategic plan. Hope you can see this. This is from the International Missions Board, and this is called the missionary task. All right. So when people think about missions, what do they think about? Is it is it you know doing this or doing that or you know is it is it felt needs ministry? And, and the thing is, is yes, it includes some of those things, but the real goal of missions, our ultimate hope. When we talk about missions here, when we talk about reaching the world. Our ultimate hope is strengthening or planting healthy churches in strategic places, okay? The end of our goal. Now, we're doing some other stuff. Like, like we just mentioned the meal packing event and well done. Amazing job. You guys packed over 50,000 meals last night. Amazing job. That will be used by God in a big way. But the the goal of that, the end of that, the real hope is strengthening or planting healthy churches in strategic places. And this is how that happens. There's some sort of entry. Now, a lot of times things like meals or well digging or, uh, you know, an orphanage or something like this can be used to enter, to, to build relationships, which leads to evangelism. Again, we... Then evangelism leads to discipleship. Discipleship leads to hopefully healthy church formation, which within that there's leadership training, leadership equipping, and then ultimately a church is planted and the missionary, as you see here, can exit, can leave. Now, where does the International Mission Board get this, right? Where does this strategy come from that we still use today? This is the strategy that we have adopted Do you know where we figured this out the church of Antioch this was their strategy again we don't have time to go through the text today but but just watch the missionary journeys of Paul read 13 and 14 this is what they do they go to a place they figure out some way to connect with the folks they start sharing the gospel not everybody believes but some believe and those that believe they begin to disciple they begin worshiping together they form a church They find those that are qualified leaders, they begin developing leaders, they equip, they install elders, and then they leave. And this is what we want from you. This is is a goal that we have, that that we would be the kind of church that sending out groups of folks to strategic places to begin to share the gospel, figure out some sort of entry to begin to share the gospel, begin to make disciples, begin to start churches you're going to raise up leaders or become those leaders and then figure out some way to multiply. You, you may stay in leadership in one of the strategic places, but you're sending out other people. There's, a, there's an exiting, there's a multiplication of mission. The church in Antioch had great leadership. They had, were committed to worship. They were committed to prayer. They had a strategic plan. Number five and i think this is so important they were deeply committed to the word of god they were deeply committed to the word of god i actually added this in to the sermon after i heard barrett speaking on friday the lunch and learn on contextualization and just kind of how dangerous um, how dangerous gospel ministry can be when we are not committed to the word of god how how far we can stray They were deeply committed to the Word of God. You know, I've heard pastors say, and you may have heard this too, I've heard pastors say the early church didn't have the Bible. What they did was just give witness to the resurrection. They didn't have the Bible, they just gave witness to the resurrection. If you've heard that or if you've heard that statement, that statement is wrong. That's not true. That's not what the early church was doing. And we know that because that's not what the Bible says. Everywhere where you see this early church moving and we see it in Acts 13 and 14, what are Paul and Barnabas and others doing? They're preaching from the Bible. Now what they didn't have was the New Testament. This was a lot of this was actually being done in a time when the New Testament was being written. What they had was the Old Testament but they were always preaching Christ. They were showing how Jesus was actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But over and over and over again, in their preaching, they are committed to what God had revealed in the Scripture. We see that in chapters 13 and 14 in the missionary journey of Paul, and this all began in Antioch. And This is one of the things that made this church so powerful and so strong, and I pray that it would always be true of Christ's covenant. Number six... The church in Antioch was willing to sacrifice they were willing to sacrifice they were so moved by the gospel that they were willing to sacrifice for Jesus I want to give you a couple examples of this number one what we saw last week they were willing to send out their best I just want you to hear this this hurts it hurts to send you know I do pray that one day God will raise up leaders from our church to go to strategic places and plant new churches. But I'm just going to go and tell you right now, that's going to hurt. It's going to be a good hurt. It's going to be like a sending your child off to college kind of hurt. But it hurts to send your child off to college. It hurts to see someone go that you love, that you count on, that you depend on. But I hope we can learn from this. I hope that we're not the kind of church that's selfish with the leadership, that we, we have a multiplying desire that, that people could, that some of our best people could be raised up and could be sent out and could be multiplied out of this church. But it's a sacrifice. It hurts. It's, we're going to feel it when it happens. But look at what God accomplished. Look at what God accomplished. I don't know if you can go back to the map Uh, Jesse but just I just love thinking about the missionary journey just look at all the places that God touched through their sending number two they were willing to give they sacrificed they were willing to send their best they were willing to give it should be assumed obviously that the church in Antioch is supporting this journey they're sending Paul and Barnabas out I just want to say the mission of God requires resources people say all the time gosh church you know is always talking about needing resources well Here's the deal. You know what kind of churches need resources? Churches that are doing stuff, churches that are alive, churches that are reaching people. It does cost money. All of these folks that are here, that are partnering with us, they need resources. They need resources. They can't just go and do this work automatically. They depend on churches like us and other partners to come alongside of them. Ministry requires resources. And we see this modeled so faithfully from the very beginning. And I just wanna say, I just want to say to this room, gosh, God has so blessed so many of you with so many resources. Even if you don't feel like it, I'm just telling you, he has. And do you realize that you're just a steward of that? That God's giving you this resource, you're just a steward. That He wants you to be faithful and sacrificial in how you manage them. A third example of sacrifice, and I, I want us to learn from this. Hey, I want y'all to, I want y'all to hear this. This hit me. This is the thing that changed about Saul from the time he left in 13. When when Saul left in 13, he was Saul. When he came back in 14, there's something different about him. And it's different for the rest of the book of Acts. He's now Paul. During that first missionary journey, Saul changes his name to Paul. And I just thought about that this week. Now, a lot of people talk about kind of, oh, you want a Saul to Paul conversion. You're going to hear me say that, Saul to Paul conversion. Again, sorry to correct that, but that's actually not what the Bible says. Saul did not change his name to Paul when he was converted. This is years, this is 15, 16 years later, okay? And he goes out on mission and that's when he changes his name. Why? And I just thought about this. He's willing to discomfort himself to, to reach people. This is, this is an example of Paul. Remember how he says, I've learned to become to the Jew. I became a Jew to the jew He's learned how to become all things to all men. He's living out what he said to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This just really struck me this week because we have so many identities that can be gospel barriers. We have so many identities that can be gospel barriers. If, if, you're, if you're gonna go to a place like Japan or to a place like Indonesia, uh, you will lose a little bit of your Americanness, right? If you move to a different city, like if God calls you to go plant a church in Seattle, say, you're going to lose a little of your Georgianness, right? If God calls you somewhere, you may have to move away from family. We have to learn a different language you see that Paul's willing to say you know what my identity is not wrapped up in my traditions my customs where I'm from I've been crucified with Christ Saul is dead <laughs> it's Christ who now lives with me and if Paul if me being Paul opens a door to the gospel then I'm Paul That's very powerful. This church was willing to sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice their identity. They were really willing to sacrifice their whole lives. I mean, who is Paul? That is is a quandary. You know, a lot of my Christian faith, I'm going to be honest with you all, is based on watching Paul. I mean, if somebody can follow Jesus like this, then Jesus must be real. (laughs) He must really be Lord. Right before the text that we looked at today is one of the most profound passages in the whole New Testament, but you just read right over it. Look with me real quick. Just go a couple verses up to uh, verse 19. So Paul is in Lystra, okay? Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And Jews from Antioch, now this is a different Antioch. So think like Dallas, Georgia, Dallas, Texas. It's not the home Antioch that we're talking about. It's a different Antioch. So Jews from Antioch and from Iconium are upset at the gospel that Paul is preaching. So look at verse 19 of Acts 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city. Supposing that he was dead. Just think about this. This guy has been stoned, pulled outside of the city. They thought he's dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, I'm I'm guessing there they gather around him to pray. It's just like, Luke, give us, (laughs) tell us more. Like what happened here? He rose up and went back into the city. He got stoned he was dragged outside the city because they thought he was dead somehow he like comes back to life or is revived or I don't know what happens and then he walks back in to the same city where he just got stoned and when he gets back later to Antioch you know what he says God was at work if I got stoned and people thought I died and then I didn't die. The first thing I'd say when I got back to Christ's covenant was, guys, you're not going to believe what I did out there. It was amazing. I, I, I sacrificed so much. I did all this. That's not what Paul does. Paul just goes back and he says, God is opening doors for Gentiles to believe. He was willing to give his whole life for this. I just I just feel compelled to ask us, like, have you been moved by the gospel at all? Like, is Jesus really Lord? Is your identity really wrapped up in him? Are we a church like this? Are we a church that's willing to sacrifice, to willing to give our best, willing to give, willing to send, willing to lose our identity in order to be faithful to the gospel, willing to even lose our own lives? But finally, number seven, The church in Antioch, they knew how to celebrate. They knew how to celebrate. When they arrived and gathered the church together, verse 27, they declared all that God had done. I just imagine this gathering. Paul and Barnabas are back. And they come and they say, God has opened the door to the Gentiles. And it says it was no little time. It was a long celebration. I love this. Christians need to know how to celebrate. Christians need to know how to feast together. We need to know how to be joyful in the Lord. And really this whole kind of weekend for me has been that. It's been so good to eat together with you and to, to hear these stories of how the Lord is at work in our missions partners. It's been a feast. It's been a celebration. We need this. Oh, we need this. We need to feast, you know, in a sense, we want our worship services to be a feast, to be a celebration. Somebody said to me the other day, I like that y'all don't uh, leave so quickly. And I said, yeah, that's good. We don't want to leave so quickly. Let's be here. Let's we need one another. Every time we meet for a small group, it's a little bit of a celebration. We're back together. The Lord has sustained us. The Lord is working through us. When we take the Lord's Supper, part of that is a celebration. And all of these celebrations, I want you to hear this. All of these celebrations are little signposts. They're, they're They're little tastes that God gives us of the ultimate celebration when all of the church, the church from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, will be gathered together with Christ. And you know what we'll be doing? I love one of Jordan's lines in a song that he wrote. We'll be feasting in endless joy. We'll be feasting together. We'll be celebrating all that God has done, all that God's done in our life, how he's shown his glory all over the world. And so all of our worship services, our missions conferences, even our little small groups, these are all just little signposts. They're, they're little signposts. But, but you know what? In a few moments, this is going to be over. And we get back to work and you get back to doing the things that God's called you to do until the next feast, until the next celebration. Our missions partners that have been here, but they're about to scatter. They're about to leave. They're about to go all over the world to where they're going because we have work to do now. It's a a time of laboring. You know, our seminary hymn, it's, I love it. It has this line. There's one line in our seminary hymn that says this. It says, we meet... We come together, think about seminary, it's a time where you intentionally come together, knowing that you're just preparing to do labor. And that's kind of what this is, a gathering. We meet to part, but then it says, but we part to meet when earthly labors are complete. We, we will meet when earthly labors are complete. You know, you know, some of y'all may never see Frank and Jan again. Maybe y'all will come back, but maybe not. Some of y'all, I mean, some of y'all never see some of these folks. Again, we're going to part. We're going to go do what God's called us to do. We're going to go work in the Lord. This is part of the labor that he's called us to. And here's the deal. We can labor. We can labor because Christ is with us. It's a labor in the Lord. It's Jesus who's called us. It's Jesus who forgives us. It's Jesus who, give us, who gave us life. It's Jesus who leads us in righteousness and mission. It's Jesus who sustains us. It's Jesus who fills us. It's Jesus who keeps us. Until the end, when we're gathered to be with him. And so as we think about this, as we think about what the Lord has called us to do, I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for this weekend. What it's meant for my soul, what it's meant for our church. Father, I, I pray that you would speak now to everyone here that the missionary task would not just be something for special people, that the disciple making task would not just be something for special people, but something for all of us, Lord that we're all called to engage with, that we're all called to be a part of, maybe through support, maybe through prayer. Maybe, Lord, just this is a time for us to meditate on what you have right before us, what you are calling us to. And so, Father, as we think about these things, as we think about this great commission, the commission to let the gospel be known in all the nations, I, I pray that we wouldn't look to ourselves in a moment like this. But we would look to Jesus. He is the author of all of this. He is the perfecter of all of this. And so I ask that you would give us hearts that trust him and look to him. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to respond in singing as Jordan leads. And then we have a time of prayer. So, so settle in. We, we're not going anywhere just yet. But I do just want to ask you if there's anybody here and you'd like to pray with me during this next song, I'll be standing over here. I'd love that opportunity. Uh, But I invite you to follow along as Jordan leads us now.